Mindfulness rejects nothing. This practice that we're doing rejects nothing of our experience. Mindfulness rejects nothing. And I think when we come to this practice, either we forget that or we don't quite understand the gravity of what that means. I know that when I first started this practice, I didn't get that teaching. It was told to me many, many times. I had to hear it for years before I really understood that whatever is arising in my experience, I can bring mindfulness to it. And that's not wrong. It shouldn't have to be otherwise. I think myself, like I imagine many of you, Sure, yeah, it's too loud. Like many of you um, found this practice because there was some amount of discomfort or suffering in your lives. Maybe you're going through a really difficult time right now. I know that I was. It was why I gravitated to this so wholeheartedly, was because I was suffering deeply. And I was really excited to see my mind get quieter and to um, experience these moments of peace and settledness and ease, but they were fleeting. And when the instructions came in to turn towards then whatever is in place of that, that calm, restful mind and body, I really didn't want anything to do with it. I felt like I've suffered enough. I'm here to not suffer. I don't want to get close to my suffering. And it took a while to really understand that the healing that I was looking for, the path of that, was actually coming into this close, intimate relationship with the experiences that were hard and difficult. And to really come into an ease with this idea that mindfulness rejects nothing. And really what that's saying is that our hearts don't have to reject anything. This is uh, Donna Fold's Allow. She says, There is no controlling life Try corralling a lightning bolt or containing a tornado. Dam a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and successes. When loss rips off the doors of the heart or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to you and your new eyes. 
So, of course, we need to bring attention to the beauty, to those moments of our heart being open, to the joy that we experience, the gratitude that we experience, those moments of stillness and quiet that just fill us. We need to attend to those. It's really important that we fully are present for those moments. And it's equally as important to attend to the difficult. (coughs) Sometimes it feels like, not necessarily here, but maybe here, but certainly in life we have these moments where it's like the ground beneath us shifts, where we feel confused, we don't know what to do next. We have incredible losses we might be challenged as far as uh, you know, something might challenge our sense of self, who we are. We might find our hearts in a lot of pain. And it's scary. There's a lot of fear that comes up with this. Mostly because maybe it's unfamiliar The territory is unfamiliar. We haven't given it our full attention. We haven't gotten close enough to this aspect of life, even if we've experienced a lot of it. But how intimate have we gotten with these places? And the places we have really been there with, we know, we know those places. The fear is less. We know our strength and our capacity. We know how to navigate the flux of life. But in order to really be able to hold it with that openness and that wisdom, we have to come into contact with it. We bring it into our practice with mindfulness. So this is not easy, though, because our gut reaction is to do something else, to protect ourselves from it. And we protect ourselves in some real habitual ways. And there's a whole framework that um, comes out of the Buddhist tradition. Um, Just like Aaron mentioned last night with the word dukkha, um, that comes from the Buddhist tradition. Uh, This framework I want to share with you tonight, you don't have to be Buddhist or have some major belief system to recognize the humanness of this this system. Um, That this is just a a way of being able to um, perceive and know what's going on in the mind when we are um, in those places of deep friction with what's happening in our life. We just aren't really with it. We're not in the flow of it. We're not meeting it fully. We're fighting it in some way. And there's this underlying fear there that's driving our mind. So this framework is called the hindrances, the five hindrances. And these are not emotions or thought states, but it is a mental state. These are mental states. Um, or mental attitudes that we end up seeing or perceiving our experience through like a lens. And these lenses, there's different lenses 
but all of them are, have a commonality of um, obstruction. They're obscuring our ability to see what's really going on here with clarity and openness. They're hindering our, our mindfulness if we don't know that they're there. So I'd like to share these with you. There's an order to these, but it's not a particular order. <laughs> it's, it, they are listed um, one through five, but they, they come up in different formations, in different ways. But sometimes just having a list of five helps us keep it in our mind. So I'll share it in this way. So the first one is desire. So a desire, this is desire in the mind, a wanting in the mind, wanting something that isn't here, um, wanting something to be different. And we do this habitually when we're just, we're uncomfortable with what is available. Where we think, if I only had this one thing, this would make this so much better. There's a, a Dharma teacher we both know, James Barrows, who has um, a nice way of us experiencing this, and I'd like to do this with you. I'd like you to reach out in front of you, and I actually do this with me. Reach out in front of you, and imagine in front of you is the one thing that would make your life right now so much better. And it's right in front of you. And lean, really lean forward and try and grab it. It's just out of reach. It's right at your fingertips, but you can't get it. Reach really hard. You want this thing. You need this thing. Reach, reach, reach. Feel that effort. And then gently come back and let your arm come back and rest. And you feel the difference? There's an energy quality to these hindrances. And so this quality of, um, the quality that goes with desire is often this reaching into the, for, into the future, reaching for something that's not here. It's exhausting. These hindrances are exhausting. And this one is in, exhausting in that way. We're never satisfied. We finally grasp it, and we might enjoy it for a moment, but somehow that energy is not fulfilled. And we go reaching out then with the other hand, and constantly in this mode. And we're in a society that applauds that kind of energy. Go-getters, you know. And some of us do it really well and have received benefits of it, except probably deep contentment and happiness, because it doesn't lead to that. All of these hindrances, um, there's a way in which we feed them, we help them grow, And then there's a way in which when we practice with them, when we recognize this is what's happening here, that we can actually cut off that nourishment. We can cut off um, that, that feeding that we do. 
And so this one in particular is fed by our obsession with looking outward for something better. Something more comfortable for more happiness. The way that we starve desire is by staying with the difficult. It takes courage and resolve. But it's the intention to go from here back to, no, I'm going to be with this. Just this. This is enough. This is what's actually here. This is the reality of this moment. I want to be with this. When we do that, it changes that energy. We're no longer feeding that grasping. The next one is aversion. So we have desire and aversion. So desire is kind of this reaching forward, wanting, wanting. Aversion is somewhat of a similar energy, except perhaps it's opposite. It's pushing away. I don't want this experience. I don't want this to be happening. It might also be I want something different, but it's I definitely don't want this that's happening right here, right now. When we experience aversion, it shows in different ways. Sometimes we become prickly and defensive. Sometimes we throw up our guards, our walls. Uh, sometimes we go into fix-it mode. We, just, we have to just fix this and be done with it because we don't really want to be with it. How do I fix this? Sometimes we avoid or ignore, deny certain parts of our experience, parts of ourself. Maybe you've experienced this just on this retreat, parts of yourself that are showing, and you just want nothing to do with that. It's too much we might feel in a particular moment, where it's just like ugly. I don't want to see that part of me. So in a lot of ways, with aversion, we create this, this, this shell around ourselves of protection against what we think we can't really handle or we don't want to face. Have you ever seen a hermit crab? You know, the little, they're little crabs and they stuff themselves into a teeny tiny shell for protection and then they walk around with it on their back. So my family and I, um, when was it now? Almost two years ago, uh, left in our sailboat, which we've been living in for the past six plus years uh, in San Francisco area, and went down the coast and we left. We left everything and um, my then one and a half year old was with us and we sailed down the coast of California into Baja, California, and then sailed uh, much of the west coast of Mexico, including the Sea of Cortez. It was incredible. We spent 10 plus months doing this. 
we were in the Sea of Cortez um, and pulled into an area where you you actually couldn't reach the beach without uh, being coming in by boat. And so we took our small tender and went uh, ashore on this beach that just seemed so pristine, and it was. And we were walking around and exploring, and all of a sudden, things just started moving. And we had been out to sea for a while, so my first reaction was, oh no, (laughs) I'm kind of losing it. (laughs) Something's not right, because things were alive and breathing, and things... It was a bit trippy. And then my husband said, things are moving. (laughs) Oh, thank God. (laughs) You see that too. And they were these hermit crabs. And they were everywhere. They were everywhere. And they're just, they're astounding how much they, they take this body and they shove it into these teeny little homes that they've collected. They haven't made them. They've, they've borrowed them, uh, for protection. And they don't look very comfortable in there, but they feel safe in their little home of protection. And my son uh, was running around, picking them up, and then, you know, kind of doing this, he didn't know better, uh, to get the crab out, but they, they hold, you know, they're, they're up in there, and there's no way they're coming out. And so the more you tried to get them out, uh, the more they would retreat. So then I showed him and put the crab on my hand and said, let's just wait. We just wait. It was a great mindfulness teaching moment. (laughs) And we just waited. And then slowly, slowly, the crab emerges and starts to show itself. And then, you know, and it waits to see, is it really okay? And we just stay calm and breathe and are patient And then it reveals itself fully and then walks off the end of my hand. And my son is thrilled, and now he's going around putting them on his hand. And what strikes me about this as far as a metaphor is just how we create those really tight homes of safety for ourselves with this hindrance of aversion. We think we're keeping ourselves safe. And when we see the aversion, you know, sometimes our first knee-jerk reaction is to be like, you know, get over it, snap out of it, you know, can't I be done with this? What do I need to fix this? Move on, let it go already. We meet the aversion with aversion. We find ourselves of feeling aversive to the experience of aversion, which feeds it. We're now feeding our aversion instead of doing what we really want to do, which is to have some kind of release from this tightness. And so just like the hermit crabs, we have to be patient. And also this hand, of this open hand, is really a symbol of the openness and tenderness that we need to bring to our aversion. And so we can try this right now. As you're sitting here, uh, if there's any resistance that you've been experiencing here, maybe you're, you're experiencing it right here in this moment. Maybe you've been having a lot of aversion. Notice where it sits in your body. 
Is it in your chest, in your gut, in your legs, your arms? Take a hand, that gentle, open hand, and place it wherever you feel that aversion or have memory of feeling that aversion. And just in that, as you breathe and are patient with it and bringing this kind awareness, this loving kindness that we practice today out on the land, if you were there, of welcoming it in and caring about this mental state is hard. This is hard. And I care so deeply about this suffering. And I care about my well-being. May I stay present with kindness and tenderness with this too. It's with this tenderness and this kindness that we no longer are feeding our aversion, but rather turning towards it in this very gentle way so it can reveal itself. What, what is its purpose? Why is it here? What does it think it needs to protect? And then it's through that awareness that we begin to find our way again. So that's our second one, aversion. So we've had the the grasping of of desire, the pushing of aversion, and now we move into restlessness. I know that a number of you have been feeling, some of you shared your restlessness um, experiences today with us. And, you know, it's just so part of the meditation retreat experience to be in this mind, in this body that just won't settle. And so the energy of restlessness is ungrounded and um, just can't settle. Phonetic, this phonetic energy. And sometimes we feel it in the body. Our body just won't stay still. It just can't quite get comfortable sitting here or even in the walking. Um, In the mind, it's busy. It's planning. It's thinking. It doesn't want to stay on your anchor. It wants to be anywhere else. And it's uncomfortable. Restlessness is so uncomfortable. Again, there's a tightness that comes along with this hindrance. And so what we really want to do is not feed that kind of energy, that go, go, go kind of uh, phonetic, ungrounded energy. Sometimes it really... um, it, it could use some movement, and sometimes just using some of that extra energy is helpful. So going on a brisk walk, for example, or hiking up the mountain, something like that. Sometimes that's what's needed. I find a lot of the time, though, with restlessness, that what's really needed is for us to stop. Because that run, run, running, Erin mentioned that a little bit. She shared some personal Um, piece about herself with the restlessness and just always running, running. When we continue the running and trying to get rid of restlessness, it feeds that restlessness. And perhaps what's really needed with restlessness is to stop. 
into ground. Bring that energy back down. Here we are in this incredible place, this incredible earth, and we've practiced a lot now on the land. And just finding a way to uh, release that restless energy down into the ground. Let the earth hold it. It's not like your plastic waste or anything like that. You can't harm the earth with your restlessness. Laying down on the ground, bringing your energy back down to settle. Sometimes we can use the space, so as you're looking behind me, you can see all this incredible nature. So take a look at it now. And then notice the space in between. There's so much space. It can hold your restlessness too. Sometimes we can allow that energy to just be as big as it needs to go and expand out until it's been used up. It weakens and then we can come back to grounding. Patience. Sylvia Borstein, um, another meditation teacher, she says, patience is more the moment-to-moment adjustment to unpleasant circumstances done in knowledge that they cannot be other. This is wisdom. This patience of being, just being with the restlessness instead of feeding it like, i got to get rid of this. (laughs) It just creates more of that tension. This slowing down our pace grounding and the patience is really another kindness to our experience being with it in a different way we're starting to turn towards these hindrances and relate to it in a different way that is so much more kind and open and wise much wiser and has such a fuller capacity than the struggle of that hindrance So then if that's the energy of being phonetic and way up here, ungrounded, its opposite is this next hindrance, which is sloth and torpor. And that's kind of the classical um, words that are used. Sloth and torpor. Um, This is really a depressed energy. This is um, a mind that is maybe uh, sleepy or uh, disconnected. From what's going on. Maybe uh, it's when we are spacing out. We're having a hard time attending to what's going on here, not because our energy is going all over the place, but it's kind of sinking down. It's not grounded, though. It's not that kind of downward energy. Um, it's more of this um, melancholy Uh, disinterested, disconnected mind. So what we need to do is bring the energy up. Bring the interest up. Become fascinated with this life that you're experiencing in every single moment. It sometimes feels so mundane. Okay, we're breathing. We breathe all the time. This breath doesn't feel that much different from the last breath. All I'm doing is breathing here. Over and over again, we go from sitting to walking to sitting to walking. Maybe this sloth and torpor starts to come in. We begin to be disinterested. And then that sparks up the desire, start to look for something a little more interesting. 
either outside of ourselves or we start creating things in our mind that might be a little more interesting. So what we need to do here is bring up our curiosity, get back in touch with our amazement of being alive. I think Erin today shared for the walking meditation, you know, every step imagining what this being your last step, because at some point it will be. And as we breathe, imagining this is your last breath, you wouldn't want to miss it. And someday it will be. We can try this actually together, just just as a short um, practice. Close your eyes, bring your attention to your breath. And as you're breathing in and out, savor what this breath stands for, which is that you are alive in this moment. However your health is these days, this breath is symbolizing a vitality It's so precious, each and every breath. And with your attention like this, notice if there's something about your breath that you haven't noticed before or you haven't fully engaged your mind in. Become attuned to any feelings of gratitude or just pleasantness of being with the breath in this way. Allow that experience of pleasance and gratitude to inform your experience. Let it fill your body. Let it fill your breath. It's hard to be disinterested when we engage in life in this way. And it's not false. Recognizing our impermanence, recognizing the preciousness of being in these bodies, as dysfunctional as they may be, as imperfect as they may be, it's ours for this time being. And we can engage in this moment with this body, with this awe of what it's doing for us, of what it's a part of. Hard to be in this state of sloth and torpor when we're connected in this way. And so when sloth and torpor arises, to remember this that it's just a matter of switching our point of view to something else, something more engaged, strengthening our resolve. Because really, we're doing this for a purpose. We're doing this to be more free in our minds, to heal our hearts, to have more understanding, to be happier people, healthier people. Stay close to that. 
and sloth and torpor just won't take hold like it would otherwise. So that's that. The upward energy, the downward energy of these hindrances. The last one is doubt. So this is number five. And doubt is this, it's really tricky. Doubt is a tricky hindrance. Its energy is pervasive in all directions. And I think of it as almost like a tule fog that's going out in all directions. It's really hard to see where to go with doubt. It obscures our direction. We get really stuck when doubt is present. We don't really know what to do. Classically, um, in the Buddhist tradition, there's a metaphor, a water metaphor, that goes with every single one of these um, hindrances. And the one for doubt, well, I'll just say maybe, um, so things like, I think desire has special dyes, in, you know, colored dyes in the water, so you can't see through clearly. Um, aversion is, is um, bubbling and seething, and so you can't see clearly. Um, doubt is cloudy, like that tule fog. But it's not just cloudy. It's also said to be in a dark room, so you can't even see it. It's so hard to identify when doubt arises, partly because of the stories that it has us tell. It fuels these stories in our mind uh, that bring us into a lot of self-judgment, uncertainty, confusion, and they seem so true. They seem really, really real. We believe them wholeheartedly until we start to see a little bit clearer of what this really is. So I'll tell you a story about myself on retreat um, years ago now. Uh, but I had been practicing for a long time. I was a, an experienced practitioner, and I was sitting for a month, which I, um, before having a kid, <laughs> used to do quite often. And I was sitting this particular retreat, and I came in with um, some restlessness and some aversion already, but um, I wasn't expecting it to rule that retreat and I knew what it was. I knew it was aversion and restlessness. So I was working with it, working with it, working with it. But it just had taken hold in such a way. I um, was two weeks in to this month retreat, having the worst time, just, just struggling in every way. And I go into the teacher and say, I don't know. I don't really know if I can do this. I, I, you know, I'm walking, doing the walking, and I hate it. And then I go and I sit, and I hate it. And then I go stand in line for lunch, and it looks, you know, ugh. <laughs> and then I go outside to the nature, and there'd be a little snow on the ground because of the time of year, and it was uh, back east. And uh, I, oh, snow. It was just the lens that I was looking at through was so aversive, and I couldn't, I couldn't get around it. And I, so I came in and I just, I don't think I can do this. I don't know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for so many years. I've practiced so much, and I don't know what to do. And I don't know if I can be here. And the teacher said, you know, Kate, I think this is just doubt. And I said... 
No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think this is doubt. And immediately felt aversion for the teacher. <laughs> she doesn't know what she's talking about. And got up and, you know, thanked her and left. And I, um, so I went and did my walking. And I'm walking back and forth, back and forth in this walking hall. And I'm hating it. I'm just, I'm just in agony. I'm suffering so deeply in this aversion. And I just can't see my way out. And all of a sudden, this voice comes in. Is it doubt? It was a question. Is it doubt? And the answer came from my gut. It was like this regurgitation of, yes, <laughs> yes, this is doubt. This is doubt in the teachings. This is doubt in the practice, doubt in my own ability, doubt in the teachers, doubt in this place. And it just was coming out, and I started crying not because I was sad, but just out of relief to see what it actually was. I wasn't going crazy. <laughs> there really wasn't anything wrong with me or my practice or anything else that was happening there. It was just doubt. It was just doubt. It was such a relief. And I could see at that moment how that aversion was playing with that doubt. That underneath was the doubt the whole time. I was having all these questions about myself and in my practice, but I couldn't see it because there was this layer of aversion on top of it that was like this protective layer. Because what if I doubted all of these things that meant so much to me? It was too scary, or maybe I thought it wasn't okay. But once it revealed itself, it's just doubt, it released. And I didn't have that doubt anymore. And the second half of that retreat, I can tell you, with happiness, was very, very different. <laughs> it was a totally different retreat once that had moved through. No more aversion, no more doubt, no more restlessness. And so these hindrances work in this way. They're mysterious. Sometimes they come in pairs. Sometimes they come all together. We call that a hindrance attack. I know some of you have had that while you've been here, where it's just like, I can't even pick one. They all are happening to me. Yes, yes, they are. <laughs> that is a hindrance attack. This happens. The thing to know, and the thing that I hope that you take away from this talk, is that it's okay. That you don't have to fight these mind states. You probably will anyway, because this is the habit. They arise and we go, you know, I don't want that. But you don't have to. And that actually knowing each one of these intimately, getting to know them really well, and doing so with, with wisdom, with care, you know, you're not pushing it, trying to get to the bottom of it, trying to just get rid of it in some way. You're doing it with this allow, this attitude of allow and openness and compassion for yourself. Compassion for these mind states. Oh, they're so sweet. Once we see them, we realize it's just my mind trying to protect me in a way that maybe a while back when we were younger, this all had a place. 
maybe they worked in some way. But this is old. These are old maps, and we don't need them anymore. When they're present, they're limiting. They're limiting us in a huge way. They limit our mind's capacity. They limit our access to the wisdom that is in there, to our intuition, our mindfulness. Aaron talked about mindfulness, uh, our um, our uh, anchor being a magnet for our mind. I love that. The hindrances are like two opposing magnets. <laughs> and all we're needing to do is flip one of them. Meaning, all we need to do is flip our relationship with these hindrances. Instead of resisting them and feeling like there's something wrong here. Actually bringing them into the fold. Oh, what's this? It's restlessness. Okay, this is restlessness. This too. What does restlessness feel like? It feels like this in the mind. It feels like this in the body. The energy is like this. I want to ground this energy with kindness and patience. And that's my way forward. And so knowing each one of these, desire, aversion, restlessness, sloth and torpor, doubt. Getting to know each one. If you spend your whole retreat here with one of these, which you might, it's a really wonderful thing. You will know that hindrance so well. You'll know that part of your mind so well. When it arises, it'll be like a friend. Doubt is that way for me. I'm, doubt is probably my, my tendency of all these five. But I know it so well that it arises and I see it. And then it's not a hindrance anymore. These hindrances can only hinder us when we're blind to them. When we are rejecting them in some way. When we can bring them in with this tenderness and care. They don't hinder us anymore. They reveal parts of ourselves that need to be seen, that need to be healed, that then lead to more of this happiness, this well-being, this contentment, this joy that we are looking for. This is the way forward. I'll finish with this poem by Jennifer Wellwood called Unconditional. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so, who has crafted this master game. To play it is purest delight, to honor its form, true devotion. So we'll just sit here and let the words settle.
for just a short period. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.